Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. It's so cute. 30 years later, experts, academics, and journalists are still looking for a primary care fix. A piece last week on MedPage asks, how can primary care be fixed? The Wall Street Journal had an academic asking the exact same question about consumer health choices today. Here we are in late May. And it's just adorable. Why? Well, for starters, both are fixed already for 25 million of us, 20,000 docs and nurses and thousands of surgeons who accept cash pay. Academics are ignoring this movement, this direct contracting movement. And journalists and these Ivy League eggheads are asleep or bought. But that's okay, because it's all centralized right here on this show. Anyway, direct primary care or digital first care or advanced primary care, whatever you want to call it, has always been the answer all along. It's scaling to serve jumbo employers. And until recent years, it served mostly local mom and pops. Now, seven firms are serving all 50 states and a dozen more are regional. They are all growing briskly. Employers are simply fed up and need this new kind of relief in a tough economy that's coming on us. And the secret, it's basically free. It completely pays for itself year one at most of these agencies. And by year three, it's looking like a three-to-one ROI. If you don't get a 300% return on your IRA, this is worth looking at, right? And in soft costs, when you add those in, like workers' comp, retention, attraction, which in the largest study of its kind, on a show we had with Randa Deaton, that points to a 10-to-1 ROI. So soft costs and hard costs are way more than 3-to-1. It's a fix because everyone simply wins. The consumers, we call them consumers, not patients in this world. Employers, the doctors and nurses, the communities, the costs and the outcomes are all big winners. And I live, and for one, in a future where everybody wins, not just the bigs in Wall Street. Well, today I get to introduce you to a leader in nursing. Sharon Pierce has been the past president of two national and state nursing associations. She was a former lobbyist and is now a fellow podcaster in a show called Beyond the Mask. She currently co-chairs a commission on nursing reimbursement with Rebecca Love, a previous guest on episode 48. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Well, I'm uh, wondering if you have any questions or comments before we get going. Well, I hear you talking a lot about healthcare, and I've been in healthcare for almost 39 years. I've been a nurse for 39 years. It, it, it's hard to believe that it's been that long. And, you know, nurses are a solution to some of the healthcare problems. And I'm so glad you invited me on the show today to talk about that. Well, right now, by my count, there's over 200,000 NPs that are serving in primary care. And it, it seems like most NP is, NPs are attracted to primary care for some reason, look like like close to 70%. I don't know why that is. Do you have a sense of that? 
Well, I am not a nurse practitioner. I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist, which is, uh, I'm still an advanced practice nurse, but I'm not trained as a nurse practitioner. I'm directly trained in anesthesia. So I am not the best person to speak to nurse practitioners. Sure. Well, so what are your fondest hopes with this new nursing commission on reimbursements? What are you looking at? Well, we're looking at taking nurses out of the room rate, give them a billable service like every other health professional to stop the misalignment when healthcare systems say there's no more money for nurses. Our goal is to change the financial model so nurses can be valued. So let me give you a little bit of history here, Ron. Nurses have been in the room rate for 100 years. Let's go back to the beginning of the 20th century. Women were fighting for the right to vote and nursing was just beginning to to be a real profession, so to speak. And in 1913, nurses joined that fight. Nursing was in its infancy, as I said, and they began to organize just because they realized to have a say over their profession that they needed to have the right to vote. Nursing at that time was really the only economic vehicle for female independence. In the 1920s, hospitals were deplorable places for only the indigent, and nurses were hired for care. And at that time, they submitted bills and they were paid. Hospitals saw that nurses were really important. Uh, recognized their vital role and started bringing them into the hospital system and they continued to be billed separately. But as we know from history, hospitals were pretty much run by men and nursing was predominantly female and they were getting a little bit too powerful and nursing services bills were seen as competition. So then you come to the 1930s and insurance plans were being formed and they started looking around for a model where they could take control of nursing and not bill for them. And guess where they looked, Ron? They looked to uh, the hotel industry where maids are rolled into the room rate. And so guess what? Nurses got rolled into the room rates to eliminate the value of nursing. Yeah. And, you know, the question uh, my co-chair Rebecca asked is, where would women in nursing be today if this would not have happened? Well, I, for one, think Rebecca Love would be present right now. Um, but for that reason, nurses are seen as a cost center because we don't bring in re revenue on the books in hospitals. There's been Time, nurses have tried to reform health care and to reform this, and it has repeatedly been opposed basically by uh, medicine to do that. So this is where we're at, and we're in a crisis for nurses right now. There's over 4 million nurses in this country, and I did go back and listen to the podcast that you did with Rebecca, and that was pre-COVID, and at that time, 50% of nurses leave the bedside within two years of getting out of nursing school. And Ron, it is no better after COVID. I can imagine the, uh, the way they were treated was deplorable. 
Um, so that's a big problem. That's a burnout rate. That's a turnover rate that's higher than hotel maids. It's higher than um, <laughs> restaurant workers. I mean, I... hotels are 75%. That's a hundred percent burnout rate basically. Mm -hmm. um, well, so, so let's talk about that for a second. What in like, if you're king for a day of CMS, what do you change tomorrow to make this work for nurses billing at appropriate, appropriate amounts? Well, that's the big $20,000 question and one that we put together this commission to find the answer to. This uh, is, is a complicated issue, as you can imagine, but at the core of it, nurses are not billed for, just like every other profession, occupational therapists, physical therapists, you name it. Even nurse anesthetists got third-party reimbursement in 1986. But mainstream nursing and nurses in hospitals do not have that. So whenever everybody starts talking about cutting costs in healthcare, what's the biggest cost is nursing. So where do they start cutting costs? You don't invest in costs, you cut costs. So what happens then whenever you start cutting costs now? It's been a long time since I worked on the floor, Ron, but I still remember when they cut costs even back then. And the first thing they did, they took away from nursing. They either increased our ratios, how many patients we had, or decreased the things that made our lives easier as a nurse. Look, and it's that's been almost have. 40 years ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> Now, you cannot have a waitress or waiter serve more than seven or eight tables before quality falls at all tables at the eighth, ninth, and tenth, and they all fall. And the same thing happens. You can't have somebody clean a hotel with, they can't clean more than 11 rooms. If you get them to the 12th room, they're done. And then when you take nursing ratios, now you're talking life or death. You're not talking about whether the toilet's got a spot on it or whether the sandwich didn't have a toothpick in it. You're talking about life or death issues. And these you are ratios, exactly right. Yeah. These ratios are critical. So exactly. So are you going for change ratios state by state? Or are you going for CMS to wake up and start charging out nurses? I mean, what, what, did, what is like, if you could change one thing, what would that simple uh, change be? Well, now we have the access where we can quantify nursing. Back in the 80s, when DRGs were coming about, we knew they attempted to make nursing a billable charge, and that was quashed, and they said, well, we have no real way to quantify nursing. Now with EMRs, we, we do have a way to quantify nursing, and the literature has been coming out repeatedly, just like you said, that the higher the ratios, the poorer the outcomes for, as you say, the consumers. I'm still a little antiquated, and I still say patients because I work with them every single day, oh. um, but like I said, we are starting this conversation to try to find the best answer. I don't know the best answer. Rebecca, my co-chair, does not know the best answer, but we have put together a group of industry experts and we will find this answer. But back to the subject of money, there is money out there for nurses. 
Um, I live in North Carolina, and our state treasurer just came out with a study, and he looked at CEO pay in North Carolina, and it's doubled in five years. And I'm sure that North Carolina is not the only state that this has happened in. In North Carolina, hospitals paid $1.75 billion to top executives, whereas all the workers' wages have remained flat over the last decade. In the same period of time, nurses' pay increased by 1.4% a year. And guess what, Ron? There has been no correlation between patient outcomes and CEO pay, but there are plenty of studies to indicate better ratios enhance care. Are there some hospitals that are getting this right? They're paying them well. They're not having burnout. They're not having turnover. I mean, are there systems that are better to work for than others? I'm sure that there are some systems that are better to work for than others, but across the country, we are still seeing such high burnout and nurses are suffering after COVID. Well, so Adenina cuts my hair. She's holding down three jobs. She's holding off marriage and dating so that she can get her RN. And she is just working her little buns off. And I, I don't have the heart to tell her when she's cutting my hair the fact that I know that she's got a 50-50 chance of hanging in there after two years. I mean, she's sacrificing everything right now in her life. And and she's a catch. I mean, some young, young guy's going to get lucky. But there is no, I have no heart to tell her that she's going to go into this meat grinder. Um, and I wish there was some rating system. Like LeapFrog scores an A to an F based on other measurements. But there's no tool or metric for nurses right now or PAs or even doctors to know who are the good guys and who are the bad guys out there that are treating their staff well, have low turnover, high net promoter scores internally, and um, you know, and they're delivering a good product. What do you talk about on Beyond the Mask? Um, well, it's mainly for CRNAs, and we talk about uh, a lot of the po- political stuff. We do a historical series because nurse anesthetists were the first uh, advanced practice nurses. We've been given anesthesia since the Civil War. You know, given anesthesia didn't become a medical specialty and after, until after about World War II. And so we talk a lot about that. All right. So what do you say to my hair cutter who doesn't have a place to go to find the best hospitals that have high net promoter scores internally, that have low burnout rates and low turnover rates? What do you tell her? Is there a resource out there for young ladies and men that are entering the profession? Well, let me clarify this. Nursing is a fantastic profession. I've been in it 39 years. And there are lots of things you can do outside of working at the bedside. However, working at the bedside and those nurses are critical to patient care. Let me tell you something, Ron, whenever a patient or consumer, as you call them, need a physician's care, they go to their office. When they need a nurse's care, they go to the hospital. If the nurses walk out, all hospitals will fold. So what we're trying to do now is to make sure that nurses are valued for the piece that they offer to this healthcare system, which is everything in the hospital-based system. So 
if Rebecca and I can make this happen, your hairdresser will have a profession that she will love. And I am, I'm still a clinician. I give anesthesia almost every single day. I still love it. I've been doing it for 31 years and I still love being a nurse anesthetist. I got up at 4.30 this morning and I went and gave anesthesia all day before we hopped on this podcast. It is a wonderful profession. So please share with her that it's a great profession. I'm going to ask you the ultimate question, Sharon. If you had a daughter joining nursing right now, I, I like my girlfriend's moving here from the Philippines. I'm going to recommend she goes into becoming a traveling nurse, get all her debts paid off, earn 4X for a few years, you know, hump it in hotel rooms for a little while, and then she can come and normalize her life after she got her debts paid off. What would you advise your daughter to do or your son to do? Well, that is a very difficult question. Um, I would advise them to go and become an advanced practice registered nurse at this particular point until Rebecca and I get this situation fixed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how long will the commission be meeting for and what kind of experts do you have involved? Um, the commission is looking at probably a five-year plan because this is a very complex issue. And we have industry experts. We have CEOs of hospital systems, economists. Um, we have uh, academics and we have people like me who are still clinicians who are in leadership. And of course, Rebecca Love, who owns her own company. She's an entrepreneur, run nurse hackathons. So she is used to thinking outside of the box. What do you lobby for when you used to lobby? And were you lobbying the state or the, the federal Congress? I was, well, I do both, but I was registered at the state level and I was lobbying for scope of practice for advanced practice nurses. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to dodge that bullet for now. So how long should, in your opinion, a nurse be practicing underneath another physician before they're able to open up their own shingle, hang up their own shingle and become an independent primary care physician? Well, that would be a question for nurse practitioners. And as I said earlier, I am not a nurse practitioner. I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist. And the day I graduate from school, I can give anesthesia by myself. Are there any other issues that the commission will be dealing with other than the comp issue? No, no, okay. we are, we are just wanting to find a way to take nurses out of the room, right? Give them a billable service, just like every other healthcare professional. I'm imagining that the end product is going to be something like going to CMS and saying, we need a code, um, you know, for this. Is, is that kind of the direction you think it'll head? Or like you said, you have no idea at this point. Um, we think it may involve having a code but that is still yet to be determined. Okay. All right. Well, the only other thing I can think of is that the, the hospitals change their accounting system and that's pushing the snowball up a hill. Mm -hmm. How do people reach you if they want to connect with you and give some uh, input on this? You can go to our website, Commission for nurse reimbursement and sign up for e emails to keep up with what we're doing. We will be having periodic webinars talking about how our progress is going. If you want to find me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, Sharon Pierce. Uh, we'll, we'll have that link on there. Now, 
um, if you could follow a banner overhead in America with one message, what would that say? It would be support nurses, not just because you love them or trust them. We really need the public to support nurses. Well, thanks again for your time, and we will keep up with you and see how this is coming along. Okay. Well, call us anytime, and if you sign up, you'll see when we have those webinars with the updates on it, or if you want us to send you some updates and reconnect a little bit later down the line. Uh -huh. I'll do that. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.